It is no historical secret that Nazi Germany did not act alone during World War II and the Holocaust. Beyond their fellow Axis powers, Italy and Japan, plenty of countries aided and abetted the crimes of Nazi Germany. This took place most commonly when Nazi Germany invaded and occupied other countries. In order to facilitate the operation of ghettos, concentration camps, and death camps, the Nazis relied on local collaborators to do their dirty work. In Poland, for example, police officers were mobilized into the Blue Police, a paramilitary force that rounded up Polish Jews and deported them to ghettos. After France fell to Nazi Germany, the Vichy French collaborationist government was set up by Nazi sympathizer General Philippe Pétain. After the USSR was invaded by Germany during Operation Barbarossa, Several police forces in autonomous Soviet republics aided and abetted Nazi massacres of Jews, such as the 1941 Babi Yar massacre in Ukraine. Of course, not all Nazi sympathizers were in Nazi-occupied countries. American citizens of German ancestry founded the German-American Bund in 1936. The Bund, which had a training camp in Andover, New Jersey, and even held a pro-Nazi rally at Madison Square Garden in New York City, spread anti-Semitic propaganda and advocated against American intervention in World War II. Multiple high-profile Americans, including Henry Ford and Charles Lindbergh, have been accused of having Nazi sympathies due to their participation in the isolationist America First Committee. The British Union of Fascists, founded by former Smethic MP Oswald Mosley, was a political party that similarly advocated for Nazi-style fascism and opposed British entry into the war. Following the UK's entry into the war, the British government banned all Nazi sympathizer groups and Mosley was imprisoned from 1940 to 1943. Nazism was more popular in the British colony of India, where support for Indian independence from British rule led many to sympathize with the UK's German enemies. The Indian Legion, consisting of almost 5,000 people, was a unit raised by Indian nationalist Subhath Chandra Bose that fought in Europe alongside the Waffen-SS. But there is one more country whose Nazi collaborationists I have not yet mentioned. During World War II, Ireland's official foreign policy was one of neutrality, a policy that originated in the 1930s and continues to this day. Although the primary fear of the Irish government was of a German invasion, there were also substantial fears of a British invasion, as Ireland was a semi-autonomous dominion of the British Empire at the time. From 1939 to 1946, Ireland experienced a period known as the Emergency, during which time martial law was declared and the Irish government was authorized to censor wartime propaganda. Meanwhile, Irish commercial ships were attacked in the English Channel and Atlantic Ocean by both Allied and Axis forces. The most famous of these ships was the MV Kerlog, which was simultaneously attacked by a German U-boat and an RAF fighter jet in October of 1943. In practice, however, Ireland generally leaned towards supporting the Allies. 
Over 50,000 Irishmen enlisted in the British Army to fight in the war, while over 200,000 obtained work permits to work in British factories in order to feed the war machine. While Ireland generally refused to give residence to Jewish refugees fleeing persecution by the Nazis, the Irish government officially opposed the anti-Semitic ideology promoted by Hitler and his followers. Between 1940 and 1942, the Irish and British governments worked together to formulate Plan W, a cooperative plan to defend the British Isles from a hypothetical German invasion. The Irish government also provided the Allies with weather reports from Blacksod Bay in County Mayo, Ireland. In fact, it is because of these reports that the Allies decided to carry out the D-Day assault on Normandy, France on June 6, 1944. Still, plenty of Irish opposed cooperation with the British due to long-standing Anglo-Irish tensions. Some Irish nationalists were so opposed to the United Kingdom that they sought to collaborate with Nazi Germany instead. I'm going to tell you all about them right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 87th episode of this podcast, and I'm excited for you to hear it. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara, Lisa Chase, and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura. Spotify for podcasters. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Spotify for podcasters. Nazi collaborationism in Ireland was born out of the Irish Civil War. Following the ratification of the 1921 Anglo-Irish Treaty, which gave Ireland, except for Northern Ireland, self-governing dominion status as the Irish Free State, the Irish Republican Army split over whether or not to support the treaty. The pro-treaty IRA, led by Michael Collins and Arthur Griffith, sought to maintain dominion status, while the anti-treaty IRA, led by Liam Lynch and Eamon de Valera, fought to create a fully independent republic over the entirety of the island of Ireland. The Irish Civil War, which lasted from June of 1922 to May of 1923, ended in a pro-treaty IRA victory. Soon after the end of the war, the political party Kumanda Nail was founded by pro-treaty IRA members, becoming the primary right-wing Catholic Nationalist Party in Ireland. Kumanda Nail gatherings faced frequent attacks from De Valera's anti-treaty IRA holdouts, who had been consolidated into the party Sinn Féin. In response, pro-treaty IRA General Owen O'Duffy established the Army Comrades Association, a paramilitary organization that offered protection to Kumanda Nile in 1932. The Army Comrades Association went by many nicknames, such as the National Guard, the League of Youth, and Young Ireland, but it is most famously referred to as the Blue Shirts. Although the Blue Shirts were initially a Christian democratic organization like Kumanda Nile, 
the militia soon became a breeding ground for fascism. Following the Nazi Party's seizure of power in Germany in January of 1933, O'Duffy began to embrace Nazi ideology, putting his own Irish Catholic spin on it. Membership in the Blue Shirts was limited to ethnic Irish who were practicing Christians, while the Blue Shirts began to wear Nazi-style uniforms and even adopted the Hitler salute. In August of 1933, membership in the Blue Shirts topped out at over 48,000. In September of 1933, Eamon de Valera's new ruling party, Fianna Fáil, banned the blue shirts over fears that they would launch a surprise populist coup d'etat similar to Mussolini's 1922 March on Rome. Soon afterwards, the blue shirts and Kumon Nanayal merged with the more moderate National Center Party to form Finagail, a block of right-wing political groups. Owen O'Duffy was elected as the first leader of Fine Gael, but he quickly began to take issue with the moderate ring of the party's opposition to fascism and support for remaining within the British Empire. Believing that he was being silenced by the more traditional Fine Gael establishment, O'Duffy left the party, calling it, quote, the pan-British party of the Free State. In June of 1935, O'Duffy and roughly 500 other former Blue Shirts established the National Corporate Party. This party was different from the Blue Shirts in a couple different ways. The National Corporate Party was much more overtly fascist, praising the national corporatist ideology of Benito Mussolini's regime. The party was also much more devoted to preserving Irish language and culture, encouraging Irish people in both Ireland and the diaspora to Gaelicize their names and practice traditional Irish customs. The National Corporate Party was also much more aggressively anti-communist, particularly as the anti-treaty IRA began to espouse more socialist-leaning ideals. And now, the paramilitary wing of the National Corporate Party was no longer the blue shirts, but the Green Shirts. For roughly two years, the National Corporate Party and the Green Shirts worked towards their goal of establishing a fascist Irish state independent from the British Crown. Interestingly, the party's primary recruitment method was hosting public Irish dances. Soon, Owen O'Duffy received a call for help from abroad. In August of 1936, Irish Catholic Cardinal Joseph McCrory was approached by Francisco Franco, the fascist dictator of Spain, asking for help for Franco's nationalist forces in the ongoing Spanish Civil War. The main goal of Franco's request for Irish volunteers was to win the support of the Carlists, a Catholic monarchist faction in Spain, by demonstrating Catholic solidarity. McCrory contacted O'Duffy, who, in turn, began recruiting Irishmen to go fight for Franco in the Spanish Civil War. Although O'Duffy's fascism was roundly rejected by most Irish citizens, the nationalist faction in the Spanish Civil War enjoyed much wider support in Ireland, primarily due to the disdain for the secularism and anti-Catholicism espoused by the Republican faction in the war. This sentiment was also common among Irish Americans, and a successful movement against 
American weapons sales to the Republicans was launched by the Irish-American Joseph Kennedy Sr., the father of JFK. As a result of Irish support for Franco, it was easy for O'Duffy to recruit over 700 Irish troops for the Nationalists. However, upon arriving in Spain in December, the O'Duffy and the Irish Brigade quickly began to piss off the Nationalist leaders. Irish Brigade members were frequently reprimanded for drunkenness and hooliganism, and at the Battle of Harama in February of 1937, a friendly fire incident instigated by Irish soldiers left 11 Nationalist troops dead. O'Duffy also had major tactical disagreements with Nationalist generals, with Franco himself reportedly calling O'Duffy, quote, a shit. Ultimately, in June of 1937, Franco decided to send the Irish Brigade home, and O'Duffy returned to Ireland in disgrace. Embarrassed by the Spanish debacle, O'Duffy dissolved the National Corporate Party and the Green Shirts and left politics. He spent the next couple years writing a book defending the Irish Brigade titled Crusade in Spain. The book was released in 1938, and in it, O'Duffy claimed that his men had been sabotaged by communist trade unions which were led by Jews and Freemasons. In a last-ditch effort to regain political power among Ireland's fascists, O'Duffy soon began his final project, collaborating with Nazi Germany. In February of 1939, Owen O'Duffy mended his ties with the anti-treaty IRA, who in turn put him in contact with German spy Oscar Faust and Italian diplomat Vincenzo Berardis. Faust informed the IRA of a new German plan in the works, known as Operation Sea Lion. Operation Sea Lion was in fact Hitler's plan to invade and occupy Britain. Faust then tried to ensure that the IRA would support the plan if it was executed. Whether or not the IRA agreed to assist Nazi Germany is a contentious subject, but what is known is that O'Duffy himself vehemently supported the plan. Operation Sea Lion was subsequently scrapped for logistical reasons, and in November of 1940, O'Duffy and IRA leader Seamus O'Donovan met with another German spy named Hermann Goertz in the hopes of achieving a security guarantee from Germany in the event of a British invasion of Ireland, but this also fell through. In July of 1943, O'Duffy threw a Hail Mary, offering to send Irish soldiers to fight for Germany against the Soviets on the Eastern Front. A desperate O'Duffy, who was slowly dying as a result of his alcoholism, expressed a desire to fight to, quote, save Europe from Bolshevism. Nevertheless, Hitler rejected this offer. Just over a year later, on November 30th, 1944, O'Duffy's liver failed and he died. A former greenshirt, Geroido Cunningham, attempted to continue O'Duffy's fascist legacy by establishing Altiri Nasiri, a pan-Celtic Irish nationalist party that sought to turn Ireland into a totalitarian corporatist state allied with Nazi Germany. But just as O'Duffy's National Corporate Party never earned a single seat in Ireland's legislature, Altirina Sairi died out in 1958 after over a decade of electoral failure and ridicule by the Irish population. However, I must concede that one party that O'Duffy once led has become successful. Fine Gael, 
the party formed by O'Duffy's merger of the Blue Shirts, Kumanna Nile, and the National Centre Party remains the third largest political party in Ireland to this day. Leo Varadkar, the incumbent Taoiseach, or Prime Minister of Ireland, is a member of Fine Gael. hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I certainly enjoyed learning about it myself. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash Historia Obscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Spotify for Podcasters. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to spotify.com slash podcasters. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.